the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, where we discuss all things crypto-related. Your host, Kieran Ryan. We're often reminded of the risks of crypto as an investment. They're volatile and they're vulnerable to cyber attack. And yet, despite all that, Bitcoin continues to rise. How do we explain that? Is it really true that Bitcoin is fulfilling its self-proclaimed purpose as a store of value in times of heightened risk? And what does this say about the financial world we are witnessing in real time with bank failures occurring at an alarming rate? It seems we are at an inflection point where confidence in the financial system is eroding. Does this buttress the case for cryptos as an investment that can no longer be ignored? And if so, which cryptos should we be looking at? Joining us to discuss this is no stranger to the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast. It's Brett Hope Robertson, Head of Investments at Revex. Welcome back, Brett. Bitcoin is on a tear for the last three months, in fact, since the start of the year. And it is being seen as a safe haven from the banking crisis, which I don't know about you, but it seems to have caught a lot of people by surprise. What do you make of this, the current trajectory of Bitcoin and the banking crisis? And are they related? Thanks so much for having me on, Kieran. And yeah, you're right. I mean, that's a narrative that's playing out. And it seems that people like this narrative. And especially in the crypto community, it's almost like a little I told you so moment. But I think there's two parts to this Bitcoin rise that we're witnessing, right? Um, one is, yes, it's looking for an alternative financial system when the banking crisis happens, narrative. And the second part, and I think the more important part is, what does this banking crisis mean going forward and how will assets react or be affected to it? So I think firstly, for people who don't know on the, that are listening, what kind of happened in the banking crisis? Well, it started out with US bank Silicon Valley closing its doors on the 10th of March. And this basically came around because customers tried to rush to withdraw their deposits because there were rumors that the banks, this bank had a very weak financial position due to big losses it took on. Uh, on its government holding, government bond holdings, right? And people say, well, how, that, how is that even possible? It's a government bond um, and it's a bank. And I think you've you got to understand bank's business at its basic level is just to take in customer deposits and loan them out to an interest. And most banks, including SVB, which is Silicon Valley Bank, can use these deposits to purchase US government bonds. Perfectly sensible kind of thing to do. Um, government bonds are seen as safe investments and you're essentially loaning money to the US government. But a critical kind of note with bonds is that they lose value when interest rates rise. And so when we saw this unprecedented level of inflation in 2022, the US Fed obviously attempted to control this by hiking rates and hiking rates really aggressively. Some of the most aggressive rates and hiking rates in history. And rates rise, bond prices fall, and all of a sudden the SVB is sitting there with a government bond portfolio that has plummeted. And so there became this mismatch in their assets versus liabilities. People panicked, bank runs started, and that closed their doors because they weren't able to fulfill the withdrawals. And customers' cash was essentially stuck for a little period. So you sit there and you go, well, okay, how does this really affect crypto and Bitcoin? Why is it kind of going on a tier one? I think the closure of SVB, as I said, brought to light the idea that you know government actions can have quite hectic long-term effects on your financial liberties. And even if your money's in a bank, it's not truly that safe or it's not truly yours. And it kind of prompts people to look for these alternative financial systems. And that's where cryptocurrency was kind of created, right? Out of 08 banking crisis to provide this off-ramp, provide this efficient, transparent, decentralized financial system that people have been talking about for a couple of years now. 
And I think only finally now, after 08 and after SVB, people are starting to realize the value of crypto as an alternative. And we can kind of see investments leaving banking stocks and going into cryptocurrencies. I mean, if you look since SVB started, the rumors started, banking stocks are down about 17% in the US and Bitcoin's up about 26, 27. So you can kind of see that flow going through. But I think secondly and most importantly is what does this closure mean going forward? Right? And I think that's why people are really pricing it in. I don't think it's this alternative money financial system that everyone's pricing in. I don't see a lot of people will be pulling from their bank accounts going to buy Bitcoin. I think it's what this means going forward. And you know, Silicon Valley wasn't an isolated event. Multiple regional banks in the US had in the same situation. So what the Fed did was they stepped in to alleviate the situation by, by providing loans to these banks through their bank term funding program. So basically this program lets these US banks use the full value of their government bond holdings. So the government bond holders are very much underwater, but they can use the par value as collateral to the government and borrow money from the government to help them basically meet their liquidity obligations. So great. That's great. Bank Fed steps in, people get their money back. The program has massive impact on future US interest rate decisions. Because now all of a sudden the Fed is in this position where if it continues to hike interest rates aggressively, it's actually going to end up further reducing the value of the government bonds that they now hold as collateral against the loans that they do now. So you start to see a world where the Fed could be stuck because they can't have that loss and they start reducing the size of the interest rate increases, which we've already seen. The US had already printed only a 25 bip increase instead of 50. And you possibly see interest rate cuts coming into 2023, back into 2023, something that wasn't really priced into the market before. And I think this, as we know, interest rates or low interest rates or reducing interest rates really do drive risk assets and especially crypto demand. And I think that's really what we're seeing more than the alternative money system that everyone thinks. It is causing us to sort of redefine what we understand by risk, because if you go back, and we did speak last year about this, where Bitcoin and all cryptos were basically following uh, the NASDAQ, in, in a sense, in a more amplified sort of tra trajectory. But now we're seeing the reverse uh, on steroids. And is Bitcoin really still perceived as a risk asset? Yeah. So, I mean, we've seen that reverse right now. Eh? That banking crisis has finally broken that trend where you see crypto as a, a tech stock. Yes, there's a lot that are, but Bitcoin seems to be, be pulling away from that. And I think, you know, it's this, maybe it's finally getting its time in the sun um, and people are starting to value Bitcoin in the crypto space as, as the safe haven asset. So you get a lot of investors in crypto that when times of uncertainty come, they sell out of their altcoins and they move into Bitcoin and they hold it there. And that can be helping prop up the Bitcoin price. You also, I think, as we said, the narrative of, you know, people looking for an alternative monetary system, they're going to go to Bitcoin first. Most people's first investment into crypto is Bitcoin. And I think if you're getting new buyers coming in or people worried about financial, the financial system, the banking system, and they want to just put a little allocation into something that's an off-ramp to that, the first thing they're going to buy is Bitcoin. And I think that's the flow of money into crypto. So I think we're seeing that comes through into Bitcoin and you see that correlation between tech breaking down at the moment because they're pulling from banks and putting into Bitcoin. And this money will end up flowing down the system in the crypto space and going into bigger cap altcoins down to larger caps and, and through and washed out into dollars again and the cycle kind of continues.
I mean, it is interesting that, that Bitcoin and cryptos generally have been on this tear for the last few months. And this is despite some fairly severe regulatory pressure that's coming out of different parts of the world. There's an economic report Joe Biden just issued in the United States where they have a whole section there on crypto. And you can tell from the tone of it that they, they're not really in favor of it. The Federal Reserve has issued a warning to banks not to enable, not to be too kind to the uh, the crypto sector. I think this is kind of coming to a, a point where people realize that regulatory pressure doesn't really work, or it might work momentarily, but not in the long term. What do you think? Yeah, look, I think the US has been on a, on a tear, as you said. They're, they're trying to stop basically every on-ramp into crypto, and they're putting it under consumer protection. I think this all kind of happened out of the FTX crash, was a nice little entry for them to to try try clamp down on this, um, and yeah, it it hurts the U.S. market. But I think the big growth in in crypto is is coming out of Asia and in Africa in the future. You're seeing people in the U.S. find different ways to get on ramped um, into crypto. There's DeFi ways of doing it. There's OTC trades. There's a whole bunch of different things you can do to get on. The U.S. might be panicking a bit about not being able to fully view the flow of cash. And that's what they need to control. And I think this banking crisis now, they've got a little bit of egg on their face and they need to try to drive the same as best they can. But the beauty of crypto is I think, you know, people always find a way. There's always a, an on-ramp somewhere. And someone will do it in a regulated way in the US um, and they'll take that market and it'll be back on track, I think. Yeah, I mean, the decentralized finance, DeFi, that's a way that you can, you can purchase Bitcoin pretty much anywhere in the world bypassing the banking system, bypassing the central banking system as well, and therefore avoiding all of the reporting controls that they're trying to impose. And um, I just want to turn for a minute to this fear and greed index, because I was watching that quite avidly over the last year. Up until about November, December, it was in extreme fear. And in the last few months, we've seen it go to greed. So this is kind of a little barometer, you know, it goes from red to green. It's an interesting tool that people are using to tune or to time their trading. And it has been shown that if you buy in times when the fear is highest and you sell in times when there's greed, you actually can do better than just uh, doing a random monthly dollar cost averaging, right? Have you been following this and, and, and what's your take on this? Are we now heading into like greed, bordering on extreme greed as far as Bitcoin is concerned? Yeah, so I think just on the tool itself, I really do think it's a great tool for people to look at for market sentiment. I mean, we know the age old adage, be fearful when others are greedy, be greedy when others are fearful, right? And this tool literally gives you a little plug into that to see where the market is. And history has shown us, um, I've looked at this quite extensively through the crypto market or through Bitcoin specifically, that it works for the crypto market as well. The fear and greed index, there seems to be this sweet point where if you buy below 50, so 15 or below and fear, it's a historically good buy. Um, I went to go look at a strategy on this where I dollar cost averaged into Bitcoin when the index printed 15 or below. And I compared that for a four year period against a buy and hold strategy and a normal dollar cost averaging strategy. And over that four year period, the buy below 15, uh, the dollar cost averaging below 15, outperformed the buy and hold by 80% and outperformed the dollar cost averaging by 70 so is it's that ready a, to show you the power. Is that over okay? a four-year period or a one-year period? Four-year. Four-year four year period. period. Okay. Fascinating. Yeah. 
So it shows you the, the power of this contrarian investing, right? And it, it's it's something that all the best hedge fund managers and portfolio managers always harp on about. It's you've got to to make really good returns. You've got to be buying when there's blood in the streets. Of course, that's what we had last year. Is that people thought uh, you know cryptos was was done. A lot of people were you know writing. Yet I think the four hundred fifty seventh obituary of Bitcoin. Um, by the way, <laughs> there is somebody tracking that. The number of obituaries that have been written for Bitcoin. It's quite funny. Okay, I want to talk about the your opinion on the severity of the crypto winter that we've just been through. That Bitcoin was down about seventy percent. I think. It was about 80% for Ethereum, and most altcoins and NFTs were down in the 90s. I mean, that is uh, absolute shellacking. What's your take on this? Is this a, a normal cycle for cryptos, or was there something else going on? Yeah, so I think this was extreme, right? If we look at long-term cycles in Bitcoin, we did overextend on the downside. Not by much, though, by about 6 or 7%. In a full bear market, we overextended. So I think it was more an extreme in the case of how quickly it came. It was no surprise, you know, 2022 was probably the most memorable year for many people in the cryptocurrency market. It was one of those years where everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. I mean, we had a macroeconomic backdrop that was unfriendly to risk on assets. Um, you had rising interest rates, high inflation, high energy prices. We had war. I mean, we had we had a whole bunch of different things going on. And, you know, those rising interest rates, high inflation, high energy prices, they do one thing. They take money out of the hands of everyday people. Your disposable income drops. When that happens, the first thing you kind of pull back on is taking investments on risk on assets. So you see kind of liquidity pull away from, from that, that side of thing. And then open above that, because we saw it in tech stocks as well, also got, got hurt. Open above that, we had major crypto-specific events. And when I say major, it felt like it was a Lehman Brothers moment every every month at one point. We had mass, and that obviously brings massive drawdowns, massive panic. I mean, we had the lights of Terra Luna, Celsius, Voyager, Three Arrows, FTX. I mean, these are the list just goes on and on and on. And I think you put that together with an unfriendly macroeconomic environment. It really was a perfect storm for crypto. But then, as I said, you look at it on a long-term basis, it's just a little bit over, more overextended than a normal full bear market for crypto um, in terms of Bitcoin. So I think it handled it pretty well for having pretty much the worst year it could have had. And and we kind of have the view that, you know, this has kind of turned a little bit and maybe the bottom is, is finally behind us. Well, I think one of the technical indicators that a lot of traders are watching is the 200-day moving average. And it has broken decisively above, Bitcoin has, above the 200-day moving average, which is read as a bullish sign. There was a little pullback. It wasn't a very strong pullback over the last week. I just want to talk very quickly about these altcoins because if you go back six months, uh, people were saying there's so many altcoins out there that don't really seem to have an investment case, that there's going to be a great weeding out process. And of course, there there probably is. It's going on daily. But are you looking at these altcoins and and do you feel that, you know, what are there, 10, 15,000 altcoins? It's just impossible for people to to follow all of that. Are we going to see a weeding out process? Are we seeing one happening as we speak? And if so, what's going to be left that's interesting? Yeah, so I think... I mean, the comparison is always made to 
the internet bubble, I think you're going to have the exact same metric. You're going to get a massive weeding out. As you said, there's thousands of these coins popping up every day. Um, people can build a token, put up a web page, and off they go. And weeding them out is is something of an art, but we always take the view of, you know, you buy into the top 10, top 20, top 30 area, top 40 area, and you can take little punts on smaller things if you understand what's what you're getting into, but you've got to understand it's a, it's a full-on, it's a risk if you're going below the top 50 assets. Um, it's a risk already, but there are some altcoins that I still love and I will still look as a big opportunity. I still think Ethereum is a great um, purchase at this point. I know a lot of people are worried about the Shanghai upgrade and you know now that you're able to withdraw your staked ETH, there's going to be this huge selling pressure in ETH. I just don't think that's really going to happen. I think if it is, it's already priced into the price. And that's why you probably haven't seen ETH run as much as Bitcoin. Um, but the funny thing is 50% of all ETH that is currently staked is done through liquid partners like your Lidos. So these people already can buy and sell their, their, their ETH. So I think that's kind of a little bit over-exaggerated, the selling pressure. But what I am excited about is when this Shanghai upgrade does come and you're allowed to actually withdraw your staked ETH from uh, the validator nodes, you'll find what's very interesting about ETH is that it has a very, very low percentage of its total supply that is currently staked. It's got 14% of its total supply is currently staked, where its competitors like Cardano and Solana are about 70%. So when these withdrawals become available, I think you'll see that percentage move up dramatically to the 50 to 70 kind of levels, because I think a lot of your scared sidelined stakers have been waiting for this moment to get in because they didn't want the uncertainty of knowing am I waiting eight months, ten months, two years. And when they come in and you see that 14% of supply being staked go to a 50, 60, that's a huge drive in demand for the coin. And moreover, it moves that ETH from a tradable ETH out of its free float into a staked ETH which most people stake for long term which causes a lot less sell pressure um, on the asset. So I like ETH for a long-term play after this unlock. Just before you get onto that, just explain what the Shanghai upgrade is. Basically, also for those who are unaware of, of what the Shanghai upgrade is, Ethereum has allowed you to... The main goal of the Shanghai upgrade is basically that um, people that have been staking their ETH in the Ethereum nodes have not been able to withdraw it. They have been locked in there for upwards of 19 months, and this upgrade will finally allow them to withdraw their ETH that they have staked and pull it out of the market, making it more of a flexible staking in a complete locked set, uh, staking. Um, and we've seen a huge rise in the Lido finances, these people that offer flexible staking because of this. And you can see the huge need for it because people don't want to be stuck or they don't mind being in it for two years. They just want the ability to be able to pull it out when they want. So the Shanghai upgrade is focusing on the withdrawability of staked ETH. Okay. Were there other altcoins that were catching your eye? Yeah, so this the other old point is a little bit lower down. It's called Arbitrum. It's this layer two scaling solution, much like a Matic um, for Ethereum. And its token has just been released. So it's been used for a couple of years now, but its token has just been released. And it's going to become quite a big player in the market. I mean, it's already the fourth largest crypto by total value locked in its smart contracts behind Ethereum, Tron, and, and Binance chain. But it has a market cap that is about a fifth to the 50th of the size of these things. 
So it's got real room to grow and it's got some big projects already using it. Um, and I think it's quite a nice little outside, outside bet. And, and that's uh, the, I think the, um, it's ARB, isn't it? ARB dollar, dollar sign. Hmm. Okay. Um, were there any others? That's all I'm focusing on at the moment. Okay. All right. I wanted to ask you about the Inflation Shield product that, that Revix offers. It's quite an interesting one. You, you launched it, I think, a couple of years ago, maybe a year and a half ago, because it, it comprises both Bitcoin and gold. And you did some backtesting on that. Uh, we've spoken about that before, which showed not only did it protect you uh, during times of inflation, um, it also gave you a little bit of nice spring uh, in the market, like you've seen in the early part of this year. And I wonder to find out how, how's the reaction been to that? What's the take up like? Yeah, so the Inflation Shield's been, um, it's got up to a slow start from the beginning because it's obviously uh, not your you know, lotto ticket product. It's, it's your very safe, mainly gold with a bit of spring to it. But when the market started turning, we started to see a lot of customers really move into this product and, and value it. So it's been a decent take up now um, after 2022. And it's growing pretty much every day. And the performance has been pretty pretty astonishing. I mean, over the long term, as I said, since we've spoken about this since 2016, when we went from back testing it to, to now, it's up about 28% a year versus gold, which was about seven. So it's like a supercharged gold. But during these times of, you know, inflation hedges do very well in times of high inflation and low interest rates. That's when your gold really does well. And since the U.S. started rising in inflation from about May 2020 to, I looked at to Jan 2022, because that was the biggest rise that we saw when inflation went from naught pretty much to 7.5. And the inflation shield returned about 66% over that period while gold only returned four. So it was a really amazing performance. And then post 20, obviously 2022 came along. Crypto got hurt, so the 25% Bitcoin allocation did pull you back, but not dramatically at all. And now post-2022, uh, since the start of the year, um, this product's really been on a bit of a tear. I mean, as we said before, Bitcoin and gold have both been on a really good start of the year. Um, it's a mixture between high inflation, people worried, um, and interest rates could be coming down. So it kind of all plays into their, their hands. I think the inflation shield here today, it's up about 23%. Gold's up. 10 and S&P links up about four-ish. So it's done really well. I think the benefit of that is, particularly with gold, gold, it doesn't really drop much or it hasn't dropped much in the last few years. So while Bitcoin might have been down 70%, gold, I think, only dropped what was maybe 25, 30%, something like that. So you protect it on the downside with the gold. But what we've seen in the start of, since the start of this year is both gold and Bitcoin uh, going up quite strongly. So that's, I think you've, you've sort of hit the perfect storm in a positive way uh, in the last few months. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. And the nice thing about it is obviously you've got a bigger allocation to gold, right? 75% and the 25% Bitcoin is going to be there as your your kicker. Your And it adds a lot of kick, especially when the market turns and you get all the protection of gold on the downside uh, when the market's down. Okay, I want to talk about institutional players who I know they're, they're interested, they, they come to all these conferences, they, uh, they're asking the right questions, they have teams in-house that are looking at this. Are they starting to nibble at cryptos or are they waiting for the regulations to be bettered down and just to see how it plays out? Yeah, so it's a great question. I mean, in South Africa and SA space, I can say that the answers are definitely 
waiting for regulation to kick in, but they really do want access to crypto. They want their, their clients asking for it. They want the ability to offer it to their clients, but they want regulation to get to a level that they're comfortable with. So in South Africa, at least in June this year, you crypto companies are allowed to apply for their cash license, their crypto asset service provider license. And once licensed, we see a lot of the providers and partnerships of a lot of institutions and financial services saying, hey, well, once you license, we'll, we, we can kind of move ahead. And we're already working with a couple of them just trying to get everything in line in the meeting time for, for when that happens. But I mean, even outside of institutional financial you know, companies, you have tick and pay last year offering Bitcoin as payments already. So for, for their products installed. So I mean, it, it is all coming coming along nicely. I think once we get um, registered CASPs, you'll see that to start to accelerate quite quickly. And I think where the other thing you're likely to see when that starts happening is on the demand side, because these are long-term investors. They're going to be hodlers. They're not going to be traders for the most part. Uh, I think you, you're going to see some fairly sustained demand coming in to support the price. Um, and you know, what, what a lot of people who've been in the crypto space for a long time have been anticipating and have got it wrong, I must say, is that the volatility should diminish. But I, I do believe that's coming and, and it's not far away. What do you think? Yeah, I think, look, volatility only diminishes when adoption really takes hold. And you need institutional adoption to get that aware. When you have, you know, it's basically retail with some hedge funds playing the game, and you've got some big adoption from some big instos, but none, none of your real big heavy hitters yet, the bigger the market cap of crypto gets, the less volatile it gets. It's as simple as that. And I think once you get regulation in place, and this starts to go from a $1 trillion market cap kind of market to, you know, your gold level, you'll see that volatility come off dramatically. Mm. What is the gold market cap? Is it $20 trillion? Something like that. So, I mean, the, the, the total crypto space has got a long way to go. Uh, okay. Crystal ball time. <laughs> what are you seeing happening in cryptos that we should be paying attention to in 2023? What, what's this year likely to end at? I'm not asking for a price prediction. I'm asking for the, 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 the narrative. What's the big story? So I'm quietly optimistic in 2023 where I, I know a lot of people are saying 2024 this will go through stagnant growth 2023 and 2024 will withdraw. I have a feeling it might come a bit closer back into 2023 than anyone thinks. And the reason for that is that is this big thing is I think the Fed is stuck a little bit here. So I think they might be forced to reduce rates quicker than everyone expects. Very positive for crypto risk on assets. I think this realization of this banking crisis is another thing that's pushing towards the crypto narrative or at least an allocation to a narrative. But I think the big shift that could come, and I, we don't know when it's going to come, people can speak about ages, is the shift away from the US dollar. And I know we've seen Saudi and China already speaking about conducting oil sales and yuan instead of dollars. Now that's massive. Saudi is 80% of oil sales, right? So that can lead to a huge drop in demand for US dollars because it's the currency that you need to trade and to conduct these oil sales. So therefore, if you don't need to, it decreases the demand of the dollar, devalues the dollar. And devaluing of a dollar makes dollar-denominated assets like crypto and gold cheaper for other countries to buy it and it really helps drive demand and i do think that growth is going to come out of africa and asia especially asia or the east at least 
And you can see this already. China have actually been injecting liquidity back into their markets and injecting massively. That's it. It's actually increasing global liquidity and offsetting the US's pullback. Um, and it's not unreasonable to assume that some of that liquidity filters into the crypto market. So I'm quietly sitting here thinking if we get a big run on dollar weakness, we should see a, a really big tick up in, in crypto prices. Okay, so I said I wasn't going to ask you for a price prediction, but I've changed my mind. Do you have a price prediction for this? <laughs> I don't, unfortunately. Do, do you see, it, mean, do you see it ending the year higher than it is now? Than it is now, yes. You do? Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll settle for that. That's, uh, yeah. that's good. Okay. I don't like stiffing numbers on things, otherwise we end up being tweeted. Yes, I know, I know. Love with bets, like the, the $1 million Bitcoin bet that just went live. Oh yeah, tell me about that. It was the um, the former Coinbase CTO basically came out and took a bet. Can't remember who it was with on Twitter, saying that Bitcoin will be at one million dollars in three months' time, about two weeks ago. Really? For a week ago. Yeah. That's um, a, that's a he, bold prediction. Yeah, he's taken the bet live. Wow. A million buck bet as well, I think, and he's kind of cited a lot of the things he thinks that. U.S. financial systems in tatters and people will finally realize that. I mean, look, that's the boldest bet I've heard in, in crypto, and there's been some bold ones. But to go from, what are we, 28 now to a million in under three months is... I'm, I'm not sure crazy. that the, the banking crisis is, is going to be that systemic. Um, I mean, you saw that with Credit Suisse. It was bought out by the fellow Swiss bank, UBS. And I, I think you're going to see this amalgamations and buyouts and things like that, um, you know, private sector bailouts rather than public sector bailouts. If you're going to have public sector bailouts, I think his bet might have some merit. <laughs> yes, we'll have to wait and see. Eh? We'll wait and see. All right, Brett Hope Robertson, head of investments at Revix. We're going to leave it there. Thanks once again, Brett, for joining us on the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast. for listening to the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, hosted by Kieran Ryan. To listen to our other podcasts, go to moneyweb.co.za or the MoneyWeb app and follow MoneyWeb News for daily updates.